just admit that your mind is not your friend. There's nobody else in your life that calls you fat and stupid and ugly and makes fun of you and beats you up that you call a friend. It is not a trusted advisor. It is nothing more than a survival mechanism giving you information on how to survive. But the joke is on you. You're actually trying to thrive. Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 564. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is take three. You know that I'm very transparent. And today I am thrilled to introduce you to Matthew Ferry. The first two times, I won't even tell you what I said, but Matthew is the dude who wrote a book. That's the joke title that we were going to go with, but I'm just going to go with it now. But more appropriately, he is a spiritual teacher and executive life coach from Elevate the Vibe. Now, Matthew, I hope I've gotten all my bloopers out of the way. So I'm actually just going to throw the microphone over to you before I botch up your introduction. Why don't you tell the listeners who you are in your words? And let's let's jump in with some more fun. And let's I took just care of all blo- the bloopers. Okay. Let's just do all the bloopers the whole time. That, that'll that make it more interesting for all of our listeners here. I'm a, a spiritual teacher, executive life coach. I started off in the world of sales and helping entrepreneurs. And over time, I started to realize that the most powerful thing that I could do for my clients is help them to achieve the quiet mind state that was evolving for me. And when they did, their businesses uh, became more productive and they became more easy and flowing. So that's that's me. Hi. That is so beautiful. Now I need to ask because I am just entering, learning how to enter this state myself. How did you learn how to quiet your mind and what began your journey doing it for yourself personally? Kim, I started on the path of a quiet mind when I was nine years old. I oh had these goodness. incredible experiences. I felt like I was floating above my body. I didn't know what it was, right? You're nine years old. You have no clue what these things are. But the the peace that I felt was so profound and so compelling that that experience drove me as an adult to find a predictable path to get back to that feeling. So uh, pretty much all I could describe it as all is well. And after coaching thousands of people from Wall Street to Main Street, I've discovered that I'm not alone. Most people just want to feel all is well. Mm -hmm. And as a business owner, it is so powerful to experience a deep trust that things are going to turn out okay. So for me, it was nine years old, these incredible experiences. I'm going to pull a little bit of my faith in here because, and I, well, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry if I offend any listeners, but I'm Christian. And last year on episode 350, Christina Miller, who runs the Garage of Blessings, you should all go listen to her show. Afterwards, she said to me, because I was going through some major life challenges, she said, Kim, when's the last time you were still and listened? Matthew, I told her the honest answer. I said, never, never. I have never just sat still and listened. And it was, she said, well, you need to do that. 
when we hang up, sit still and listen. And oh my gosh, that became, it just changed my life. And now, now I know how to meditate. Now I know how to pray. Now I know how to sit still and listen. And I think it drives some people in my family crazy sometimes because I can just sit here in total peace when they're like, mom, mom. But I'm just like, I'm in my happy place. Yeah. When you were nine, did you share what was going on with you with your family? And if so, how did they accept it or did they not? I couldn't put it into words. Mm -hmm. And all I had was these incredible experiences where I felt like I was a part of everything. I felt like all of the rules that we were following as human beings were made up. Uh, the all of the protocols and the roles that people were playing and the methodologies that we were following to try and fit in as human beings, all of that stuff as a nine year old got scrambled in my brain. And there was no real way to explain it. It's taken me you know, many, 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 many decades to even put it into words. But what I will tell you is that I went looking for God in all the wrong places, sex, drugs, rock and roll. I was going to be a rock star when I grew up. And it wasn't until I started working for my first mentor, my father, who had a real estate sales training company. That was the moment that I started to say, oh, wait a second. There is an actual path here. And I became a bona fide self-help junkie. I did everything under the sun, Kim. I did everything. I was searching and searching and searching. And ultimately what I found was the more self-help I did, the more incomplete I felt. Wow. So the more I worked on improving my skills, my business, my finances, my inner self, the more affirmations I did, the more dream boards and visioning and all of these things that I did, the more I kept getting this feeling like, okay, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I was in a perpetual, I'm not there yet feeling. And ultimately I had a realization that I was in what I now coin the personal development prison. And it wasn't until I got on track with transcending my survival mind, what I call the drunk monkey. Once I started working on transcending the mind altogether rather than fixing the mind or even trying to still the mind, that was the moment that I could start to put these experiences into words. That's when I started sharing. Matthew, can you go into what transcending the mind means to you? Transcending the mind means recognizing that there is a biological function that produces mentation or thinking and that the thinking we're used to is in fact just a survival system. So you'll discover with awareness that your mind is is doing things on a regular basis like forecasting the negative. In fact, there was a incredible Harvard study done where they created a cell phone app and they asked people to just check in and talk about what their mind was doing during certain activities. And the real shocker to the researchers was that when the mind is idle, it defaults to the negative. That was not a shock to me. Over the years, I had seen my clients and seen myself literally move to the negative, whether we wanted to or not, as a reflex 
So transcending the survival mind is really the recognition that the mind, the talking that you have is like a GPS system. It's programmed to survive. So it wants to avoid negative things. It wants to move towards positive things. And you try to reprogram it, except you're trying to reprogram thousands and thousands and thousands of years of biological programming. Mm -hmm. The most effective thing you can do is to begin to recognize its underlying motivation. And when you recognize its underlying motivation is to survive, and you begin to adopt a framework, a context that all is well, your mind actually stops talking to you. And immediately what is available to you is your intuition, your creativity, your resourcefulness. There's this explosion of joy and peace. It's incredible. This is such a beautiful conversation. I love it. Before I tell you what I've been reading that really opened my eyes on this, I want you to share your book with the listeners so that we can make sure that we're guiding people over there. Matthew, what is your book so that we can send people there? It's Quiet Mind, Epic Life. And if they go to quietmindepiclife.com, I actually give people a free copy of my book if they just pay for the shipping. Oh my gosh. That is such a great title. Is that the initial, was that the first title idea that you had or did it take variations to come to that? Because I'm, I'm in love with that title. You know, I'm one of those people who does not have a lot of chatter in my head. And so I'm in this constant state of just letting the information come to me. And this was one of those moments where it was like, Eureka, whoa, quiet mind, epic life. That describes the whole thing. And I wrote it down and I probably didn't write the book for another 18 months after I wrote down the title. I could give you a huge hug just for saying that, because unlike your mind, I have what I call chronic idea disorder. And listeners have heard me talk about the fact that I've been wanting to write this book for three years now. But I've got all that chatter in my mind that's taking over. You know, it's just, it stops me in my tracks because I've got so many ideas. But what I was going to share with you is I just started a couple of weeks ago reading The Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle. Great book. It's been on my shelf, Matthew, for four years, probably. And I've, have you ever had a book scream at you, read me now? <laughs> yes, I have. Yeah, that's what happened here. It was like, read me, pull me off the shelf and read me. So in one section, I know you'll appreciate this. He, he's talking about watching your thoughts. That He uses a more eloquent way of putting it. And I was trying to explain to my husband, who isn't on the same spiritual wavelength, I don't know how else to put it. He doesn't think in the same way I do. And sometimes that's really good. Sometimes it, it gives us challenges. But I was like, when we start thinking negative, we have to get into the other lane of the highway, right? And watch. It's like if, if we're on the highway from Columbus to Cincinnati and there's that express, that one path where you can go into the express lanes and there's a barrier between your express lanes and the local, we need to pull over into the express and just watch our thoughts that are sitting there idly and control them a little bit. And I'd love to know your thoughts on that because sometimes I don't know if I should control or ignore. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't even know if control or ignore are necessarily going to get you where you want to go. In the end, awareness makes you flexible. Yeah, which reveals new options, and it is the optionality that gives you power. So you have to. In in my methodology, I've I've created a methodology called the Rapid Enlightenment Process, and this is this after coaching thousands of people, working with them to try and get their mind under control so they could take the actions that they want to take. Let's say they wanted to write a book. We know writing the book is going to take a structure. You've got to have some kind of system, procedure, process, workflow, accountability, monitoring in place. And anything that you want to accomplish in life must have a structure in order for it to come into being. So idea people like you, idea people like me, our minds distract us from putting a structure in place. And if you are unaware of what the mind's motivation is, why is it doing that? What is it trying to accomplish? If you can't figure out what it's trying to accomplish, then no amount of controlling or ignoring will work because you're going to keep saying, I want to go straight and write this book. And the GPS in your head is going to keep saying, make a left, make a left. And you're going to continue to go straight. It's going to say, make a left. And eventually you'll say, okay, I'll make a left. We have to deactivate that GPS system. We have to deactivate the need to survive. And the way you do that in my book is through four steps. One, you begin to see what I call the unconscious reflexes of the drunk monkey. When you can see the motivation of the mind, you're able to, to understand it, have compassion for it. There's a second component, which is what causes the mind to speak. And I've discovered that there are 10 hidden motives to survive that cause the mind to speak. The third is to connect with enlightened perspectives. And these are perspectives that assume or have an, an underlying presupposition that all is well in the world. And what you'll find is the majority of our thoughts actually assume that something is wrong, which then keeps the thinking happening unwanted. You have unwanted negative chatter in your head. And then the fourth component is to utilize a skill set that I call recontextualization, which is nothing more than the skill of describing the conditions and circumstances of your life in a way that create an empowering reality for you. And it turns out the most empowering reality for a human being is the recognition that all is well. All I could think the whole time you were talking, besides I'm in love with this, is I need to get this book. Because, oh my goodness, you're blowing my mind. I'm sending you a book. Thank you. And the other thought that was going through my head was, how much of your work, when you're working with executives, how much of what is holding them back is financial woes and financial worries? Well, what's interesting is, the in my private coaching business. I work primarily with people who are already making millions and millions and millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars. And it sounds absurd, but even they are plagued by the drunk monkey in their head telling them, watch out, you're going to lose all your money. You don't have enough. You better gather up more. Even they're plagued with these ideas. I have a, I have a client that I was recently talking to, and he has a 50 million dollar net worth. 
Now, for people like you and I, we think to ourselves, oh my gosh, if I had $50 million, I would never worry again. Wrong. Unless you deactivate the underlying motivation of the drunk monkey in your head, you'll continue to worry. No circumstance will change the biological drive to worry, fret, be concerned, make other people wrong, be prideful, try to look good, try to strategize to make sure that you maintain your position in life. These things happen automatically, no matter how much wealth you accumulate. That is the topic of the wealthy wanting more and wondering if the wealthy are actually happy has been an ever-present thought in my mind for the past three years. Because I made a shift about three years ago from pursuing in- income to really going after impact instead. And then just in the last year, how to mix the both together. Because I realized, thanks to this podcast, that it doesn't need to be one or the other. But now you have me wondering, because that, that say the name of the drunk monkey again. Yeah, that's it. The drunk monkey. The drunk monkey. I'm wondering what type of magical bananas I could give it to tell it to leave (laughs) me the heck alone. You know, get the heck out of here. I don't need your ah, in my ears all the time, because really, that's all it is, is what I'm hearing from you is just ridiculous chatter that we can learn how to manage. And yeah, it's not even learn how to manage. It is actually enter into the present moment free from stress, worry, and concern by deactivating or transcending, rising above the need to survive. We're not in a survival situation anymore. Now, many people are, but someone who's listening to this podcast is not a person who is in a survival situation. They're working on thriving. They're working on having a a better experience in their life. Having a better experience is an expression of an enlightened framework. This is what Jesus was telling us about. This is what Buddha was telling us about. This is what all these incredible great avatars have been trying to convince us of. Hey, everybody, when you get over the survival part, you can begin to start living and recognize that all is well, that life is good. And when you're there, the mind naturally starts to calm down. It naturally starts to fade to the background. And when I say the mind, I mean the survival mind, because there is there is a creative force that is coming through you. And it is, it's saying, ooh, what about and what if? Which is distinct from watch out, be careful. What about this? Oh my God, we need to do that. Rah! Right? That that thinking is unwanted. It creates stress. Mm-hmm. And stress is bad news for entrepreneurs. Because you make bad decisions. You don't see clearly. You're you're not easy to be around. Your creativity is diminished. Your energy is zapped. Absolutely. I woke up at 4.30 this morning absolutely wide awake. And I can't tell you why, except I know there's a big deadline on my plate. But I was tired. I don't want that anymore. Well, the good news is, is that you can learn to quiet your mind. And then all those debilitating effects begin to diminish and ultimately they will disappear. I just got an email this morning from someone who said, Matthew, I've been reading the book forward and back. I've been reading the book from the middle to the back, from the middle to the front over and over and over. And I never thought that I would experience a quiet mind. And I'm writing you today to let you know that yesterday I spent almost the whole day 
with my mind quiet. And for the first time, I was able to take action on the goals that I had set for myself that were important to me without having that drunk monkey beat me up and tell me I'm a loser and tell me it'll never happen and tell me, you know, you're, you're dumb and other people are better. And she just said it was a, a miracle moment. Matthew, I have a confession. Some kids had put toys on my desk right on top of your book. I have it right here. I have a track meet that I'm going tonight. I don't know how many or how many track meets you've been to or listeners, but let me tell you, there's a lot of waiting in between races when your kid's not racing. I'm going to be devouring these pages and enjoying it. Fantastic. I'm excited about that. Oh, and, and keep me in the loop. I definitely will. I'm embarrassed, but sorry, but not sorry. You know, like that's something I've had to get used to is everything for a reason. And I don't know that I would have really been able to appreciate the book as much if I had read it before chatting with you. Does that make any sense to you? Yeah, yeah. it does. I'm thinking to when you said that when you were a child, you were a you know, you started to become more aware of the rules that were, were sort of ridiculous. And then as you grew, as you did more personal development, you saw the personal development prison. And what was coming up in my mind then was that the prison walls were coming down, but the prison was getting bigger. And you started seeing, well, to me, what it's looked like is that the expanse kept on getting bigger. And it relates to very much very much to what you were just saying about seeing more opportunity because that's what has changed in my life in the last decade is I always thought that what was happening in my life was what was happening in my life, that there was no more than what was within the walls where I was at. And when that reality started breaking down, I was amazed at what was beyond the confines of my mind but I had no idea because those walls had al already been built. And I, I'd like to say that, that those walls were something you came into this life with. Mm -hmm. If you look at your children, yeah. they are predisposed to certain perspectives, ideas, ways of operating, ways of being. And we have been told by our personal development teachers that our behavior is a function of the environment that we're in. And while that is kind of true, it's more like our behaviors, or in this case, our limitations, our walls, are shaped and reinforced by the reality that we're in. The act of thinking itself it's a limiting process because we think in a way that is predisposed to the hidden motives, greed, grudge, hatred, victim, illogical rules, humble, traitor, resistance, lazy, and pride. Those 10 things, if we look at your thoughts, we will find that the vast majority are sourced in one of those 10 things. And when you think in that way, all you're doing is trapping yourself in the illusion that you're in a survival situation. And when you're operating like you're in a survival situation, but you're thriving like you are, it actually creates a malfunction. And you're on this perpetual treadmill from hell, feeling like you can never get there. 
running and running and running and running and running and running and running, but never actually achieving the true goal, which is nothing more than <sighs> life is good. Oh, I took that deep breath with you. I was on that. Well, going back to my son's track meet tonight, I was on the the circuit. There's a, on the track, I guess you should say, thinking when I get there, I'll be happy. When I'll get there, I'll be happy. When I get this much money, I'll be happy. When I find the man of my dreams, I'll be happy. And I kept on hitting many milestones and not getting any happier. And when I started to realize, oh my gosh, it's not about getting somewhere that's going to make me happy. It was actually being introduced to gratitude that made the huge shift for me. And then it, it grew into more of it doesn't, I don't need something in the future to make me happy. I'm happy now. Happiness is a function of your context. Context is something that we are predisposed to. Mm. You see it in, in your kids. One comes in and they're happy-go-lucky. The other one comes in, they're brooding and they're worried. Another kid comes in and they are curious and investigative. Another kid comes in and they are dreamy and silly. Another one is predisposed to music. Another one art. Another one numbers. There is the recognition that we come in in a certain framework and if you can't see the framework that you came in as, it's very difficult to break out of the prison that keeps us in what I call the someday phenomenon. Someday when I this, then all that. And that causal relationship is an illusion and it keeps you trapped. Happiness is nothing more than the recognition that the source of life for you is the source of life for everyone and everything, that we're all one thing expressing itself with infinite variety. You as a Christian, you might call that God. Another person might call that something else. But in the end, scientist is going to say that's the quantum field that all things are expressing themselves from or everything is self-organizing from. When you connect with the idea that we are all one thing expressing itself with infinite variety, you'll pick up the phone and make your cold calls. Because there won't be, you won't be worried. You'll do that new funnel and take the risk and see if your funnel turns out. See if your experiment actually happens. You'll go into your boss's office. You'll sit down with your boss and have that important conversation. Because when you recognize we're all one thing, the risk goes away. And when the risk is gone... All is well is what is left, and that is the context for happiness. Oh, you've got me thinking in so many different directions right now. Matthew, one of the, the first ever guest episode on the podcast was with Mark Mason from Late Night Internet Marketing, and I had been listening to his podcast for at least a year and was mesmerized, you know, wow. This is Mark Mason, and I get him, or he gets on the Skype with me, and I say, I feel like I'm talking to a celebrity. And he says, Kim, I'm just a person just like you. He says, Thank you, you know, but I'm just a person just like you. You're going to have people approaching you in a couple of years saying the same type of thing, and you're going to be thinking, But I'm just a person just like you. So when you were saying, you know, you can go into your boss's office, I know I've forgotten many times that we're all just people. We can have those, those conversations 
we all have concerns and yeah. Wow. You also have me thinking about my children because I have two from my first marriage and they see me as the, the work at home mom working my butt off and they see my ex-husband working at an office. So they're seeing two different types of working. I saw in my family generations of working harder, not necessarily working smarter, but working harder just to pay the bills. And then I've got my youngest three who see both of their parents working at home. Yes, I am working my butt off, but we do have fun with our work and we have more freedom, I feel like. So I'm wondering how I'll see the differences play out is what I'm trying to say. You were talking about the different types of personalities and and likes that the kids can have. But even just between the older two and the younger three, how that will affect their limiting beliefs when with the difference in what they've seen. And now that I've said all that, I would love to know how you believe that we could best support our children to quiet their mind and live an epic life. I think the most important thing you can do with your children is recognize that they may not care and that there are certain types of people like you and I and probably our listener who are drawn to this kind of conversation. And what I've found over the years is that the drunk monkey has an extremely arrogant side and it's a survival mechanism and I call it the enlightened drunk monkey, the spiritually elite drunk monkey. And the spiritually elite drunk monkey says, Kim, what I'm feeling is so amazing and what I'm experiencing is so incredible. Everyone should be experiencing this. I want this for my kids. I'm going to make sure that they know all about it. And then my kids, some of them are like, ooh, that's interesting. Others of my kids are like, whatever, I don't really care about that. And if I look out into the world, I see that there are certain people who love basketball and it's their entire world. That's not me. But you don't see people who love basketball going around trying to shove basketball down the throat of everybody. But us spiritual personal development types, we actually get evangelistic in our process. Mm. And what I found with our kids is that the fastest way to have our kids run for the hills is to try and shove our positivity and our spirituality down their throats. The more effective way I have found, this is just in my perspective only, I have found seeking to understand how they see the world, asking them questions, being curious, being interested in what they're actually committed to. What are you committed to? Is what I will ask my children. What do you want? Where are you going? And then giving them the freedom to answer whatever it is that they want without my judgment, because all of my judgments are going to be some kind of survival instinct. They need to do it my way. I'm older. I know better. They're not going to turn out if they don't do it the way that I want. You know, you and I both know that that's complete BS. That our parents try and shove their stuff down our throat and we did whatever we wanted anyway. And we may have pretended like we were doing it their way, but we did that just to make them feel comfortable. As soon as we left their house, we did what we wanted. <laughs> and so recognizing that our children are going to do the same thing, 
And really having the presence of mind and the recognition that all is well Mm -hmm. helps to then find out what they actually want. And then what you can do is you can ask them if they would like you to participate in maybe creating a structure or holding them accountable or helping them problem solve so that they could get the things that they want. They know what they want. That doesn't mean we don't guide them. That's part of our our duty, our societal duty that we've signed up for when we had kids. But even then, that's a bunch of BS because plenty of people don't guide their children at all. Right. But you as a parent, when you make the decision, this is what I'm committed to as a parent, and you don't have any crazy illogical rules going in the mind chatter, put your children's needs above your own. Sounds like a good idea, but that was a good idea when your children died at age two on a regular basis. Now putting your children's needs above your own actually puts you into a survival state. It creates incredible stress. You then sell off your entire life while they're growing up. They leave and you realize, oh my gosh, I just spent 18 years being miserable and setting a terrible example for these people. Uh Yeah. You have just given me a mind blow. And I've discussed this on the podcast before where... If I were given the opportunity, I don't know if I would go back to college, you know, if if I would do college again. So that's been something that I've thought about, and I've never really talked about it with my kids. But whereas college was the given path, the only path in my family, as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't need to be the path for my kids. If they choose to, sure, I'll support. But if they choose not to, that's their decision. But it's it starts with the conversation of asking them what their desires are. I know one of my sons wants to be a major league umpire. And that is definitely not the Ivy League path that my parents would have desired for for us kids. Coincidentally, my three siblings and I, we all went to college. And the one who went to Ivy League now works with me and my company. And I I am so far removed from the career path I set off on when I went to school. It's amazing. It's just complete opposite. Well, maybe not. I'm still creative. That's it right there. You are a creative person. Mm -hmm. And there are some people who are are predisposed to creativity. And there are other people who are, are more conventional in their path. And the conventional person may actually gain a lot from a very conventional education. Absolutely. And the creative person, by the way, they can gain a lot from a conventional educational path as long as they are willing to be honest with themselves about what they want. So many creative people shove themselves into conventional boxes and it isn't until they're in their 30s and 40s that they are losing their mind and they finally decide, I'm going to do what's in my heart. I'm going to stop following the societal rules that are keeping me limited that are illusions. Matthew, I was 35 by the time I made that decision. So I'm right there with you. I know you you started being aware when you were nine, but how would you say, and I don't feel fair asking this, but in a nutshell, what type of transformations have you seen over the course of your life as you became more aware? Many, many transformations, you know, like like you and like our listener, I'm predisposed to working on inner optimization. Mm-hmm. And 
if someone is listening to this podcast right now, it's imperative that you admit I'm very interested in what is going on on the inside of me, the quality of my experience. And while I'm also interested in optimizing my outer experience with my family and my and my relationships and my business, et cetera, my primary focus, if I'm being honest, is on the inside. And when that happens, when you admit it, you accelerate those quantum leaps, those jumps that you've had. I've had many. I remember being 13 years old and specifically studying how to leave my body, do what is called astral travel. And to be honest with you, I never was able to reproduce it. I don't, I don't know if the technique works or not. But in this meditative state, working on trying to leave my body again, how do I get back there to where I was when I was nine? And I would have these overwhelming experiences of joy and I would burst into tears and I didn't know what to do with it. But those feelings of ecstasy and bliss were incredible and they just they kept driving me down this path. I remember being at a Jose Silva weekend workshop and Jose Silva, it was a, he was a Mexican-American man in Texas, but he was teaching these uh, meditation techniques from the East. So Mexican-American teaching Eastern techniques, Jose Silva. Mm -hmm. And I remember in my 20s having these incredible experiences where all of a sudden I realized that the rules that I had been following in society about what I should do as a man, getting married, having kids, being, you know, going to work, building for my, my retirement, that all of these rules were actually made up stories and that they were best practices mm -hmm. handed down by generations of people who were trying to give a leg up to the next generation. But they were, in fact, experiments. They weren't necessarily truths. They just became habitual processes. And I just, I remember having these ideas in my 20s, like, well, wait a second. How do I rewrite the rules for myself so that I can be more fully myself? And I will tell you that I was unbearably unsuccessful at doing it for, for most of my 30s. And it wasn't until I got into my 40s that I really started to rewrite the rules. I remember being in Tibet with my meditation teacher. And that was the first place that my mind went completely silent. And when it went completely silent, I had this experience that we were all the same thing. We were all one thing. And that experience drove me because when I got home, my quiet mind went away. I mean, I was married. I had four kids. I had two businesses. I had, you know, bills and taxes and demands and travel and, you know, Christmas holiday and blah, blah, blah. All of that stuff distracted me from having a quiet mind very quickly. And it drove me to develop this methodology that allows you to be completely at peace in the middle of the insanity and the chaos of life. I'm laughing over here because it will drive my husband crazy that I can be so in my zone that I don't hear 
what's going on with the kids. And yes, we could say that's focused, but I just like to call it my zone sometimes. There was a day that my daughter, when she was two, cracked a whole dozen eggs on the kitchen floor and I didn't even realize it. I want to ask, do you believe that the drunken monkey can be responsible for alcoholism and drug addiction? First of all, I am an alcoholic. And at age 36, I finally admitted it and I stopped drinking. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I realized is that there's something that is out of balance in my system. And I am incredibly sensitive to most of the things that are happening around me. And I didn't know how to deal with that sensitivity. And in looking back, I realized, wow, I ate food to change the way that I felt. I drank alcohol to change the way that I felt. I smoked weed when I was in my teens to change the way that I felt. I tried to be a rock star so that I could change the way that I felt. I made money to try and change the way I felt. I fell in love with a girl. It changed the way that I felt. Then the feeling went away. So then I married her. That lasted for a little while. It didn't last. So then I had a baby. Then I got goosed up in my feelings again. Yay. Then the reality set in and those good feelings went away and the alcohol and the eating and the binge watching shows on, you know, on TV all came back again. And ultimately what I had to deal with is that I was looking for God in all the wrong places Mm. and that alcohol and drug addiction, at least for me, was a way of shifting my physiological state back to that that place of peace. And my sensitivity to the world was so intense that it was very difficult for me to be at peace in almost any environment. I am probably like most of your listeners, I can feel stuff that's going on with other people. I have a lot of empathy. And that empathy can run awry and really drive you to try and change your feelings through external means. Yes, I, not just the listeners, but I can feel, I feel the same way. And it's very overwhelming at times. Listeners, I would love to hear what ahas you have had out of this podcast episode so far. So head on over to the show notes at thecamsutton.com forward slash pp564 and let us know, yeah, let us know your ahas. And I'm not wrapping up quite yet, Matthew, but I do want to remind you to go to quietmindepiclife.com and pick up your copy. And I'd love to hear the ahas that you receive out of the book as well, because I'm going to be reading right along with you. Matthew, I have one last question before we go. How do you feel about goals? Are goals contradictory? for quiet mind, epic life? Absolutely not. It's the context that the goal is set within mm. that determines if the goal will strengthen the quiet mind or if the goal will activate the negative chatter and the doubts and the fears and concerns. Mm. 
most goals are actually a, I'm going to call it outer optimization. I'm, I'm going to optimize my finances because I believe that once my finances are in this good place, then I'll finally be happy and be at peace and I'll, all will be well. And that is an illusion. It never happens. And you keep achieving these benchmarks or you never achieve them. You set goals that are making you feel bad on a regular basis and your mind never stops chatting. The more effective thing to do is to actually be honest with yourself. What are you trying to accomplish? So I like to ask myself these three questions. What's important about this goal? And then what's important about that answer? And then ultimately, what will all of that do for me? What am I trying to accomplish? What is the actual experience that I'm trying to have? And what I find is most of the time, I'm actually just trying to get to a place where I feel good, I feel happy, I, I feel some adventure, or I'm excited, or I, or I have some kind of, of win or victory. And then what I do is I look around in my life for where I'm already experiencing that. And I begin to focus on the idea that I already have the thing that I am desiring. It's there in essence, even in the smallest little pieces, it's already there. Now, the moment I begin to admit that I'm already achieving the thing that I want, I can then, in good conscience, choose to expand it into this new goal idea that I had, or I can say, I already have it. I don't actually need that. And I can release it as a have to, need to, must, should, because That's the moment you have good. those words, forget about it. You're going into a survival state. Mm-hmm. You've got me thinking so much now about looking at just keeping all is good in the forefront of my mind all the time. Wow. Well, you have completely blown my mind, and I'm sure that you have blown the listeners' minds as well. So if they want to know more about you, Matthew, where can they go? And again, listeners, I'm just going to put it out there. QuietMindEpicLife.com. Go get your copy of the book now. And if they just search my name, then we'll see that I put out a lot of free content for people to consume. One of my goals is to actually share every single thing that I have learned with the world on YouTube and on, on my own podcast, uh, The Daily Enlightenment. And I just want people to know that a quiet mind is possible. Matthew, I want to thank you again so much for being here today. This has been absolutely mind-blowing and a complete pleasure. Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can offer to listeners? Just admit that your mind is not your friend. There's nobody else in your life that calls you fat and stupid and ugly and makes fun of you and beats you up that you call a friend. It is not a trusted advisor. It is nothing more than a survival mechanism giving you information on how to survive. But the joke is on you. You're actually trying to thrive. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level. Mm-hmm.